This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Hello everyone, my name is Michael Tran, Technical Services Consultant in the BT Technical Services team, a group of qualified individuals who can help you as advisors answer any technical advice strategy related queries you might have. In today's podcast, we'll review some recent queries from advisors on one of the newest contribution types, the downsizer contribution, as interest in this strategy continues to be quite high. Uh, While the eligibility criteria have mostly remained the same since its inception on the 1st of July 2018, there continues to be an increasing number of queries from advisors dealing with its intricacies. A possible reason? For the frequency of queries may be the change to the minimum age a client must attain at the time that they make the contribution, reducing originally from age 65 to age 60 from the 1st of July 2022, and recently since the 1st of January 2023 to age 55. This has increased the cohort of clients that can make use of this strategy. But before we look at some recent queries, a brief recap for the eligibility criteria. I just mentioned the minimum age, which is now age 55, in order to have access to this contribution type. Other criteria involve if a client or their spouse disposes of an ownership interest in a property, which they have owned for at least 10 years, and they are eligible for either the full or partial main residence capital gains tax exemption on its disposal. The dwelling can't be a caravan, can't be a houseboat or other mobile home. The contribution needs to be made within 90 days of the change of ownership. And that's usually going to be settlement, although it is possible to apply to the ATO for an extension. The amount contributed is the lesser of $300,000 and the capital proceeds from the disposal. And the downsizer contribution has not been made previously on a disposal of a separate ownership interest. The client must also advise the super fund either at the same time or before the contribution that it is a downsizer contribution. They do that using the approved form, which they can gain from the ATO website. When all of these criteria are met, the downsizer contribution received by a super fund is going to be treated very similar to a non-concessional contribution from that perspective of that it counts towards the tax-free component and there is no contributions tax, but it is not subject to the non-concessional contribution rules. That is, it can be made irrespective of a client's previous non-concessional contributions. It's also not subject to the total super balance rule. With all of that in mind, I'll run through some of the recent downsizer contribution questions we have received on the hotline. The first question, not a single question, but a category of related questions involving the confusing naming convention of the contribution type, that is the use of the name downsizer. Now variations of this question include whether there is a need for the client to purchase a new dwelling that is worth less than the one that they sold. If the client already purchased the new home prime, to selling, would this prevent them from using the downsizer measure? If the client does not purchase a new property and moves into an existing property they already own, whether this prevents again them from using the downsizer? The answer to all of these questions is no. These questions likely stem from the confusing name of downsizer, 
implying that there would need to be a smaller home or a home worth less that a client needs to move into. However, it is a misnomer. As I covered off in the criteria earlier, the eligibility, eligibility criteria only relate to whether an ownership interest in a dwelling was disposed of, one which was owned for at least 10 years, and on disposal, the client is eligible for the full or partial main residence exemption from a capital gains tax perspective. There are no conditions at all relating to a new dwelling. This means the client could buy a more expensive home, they could live in another existing home that they own already, regardless of its value. They could rent for the remainder of their life, move in with family and friends, or enter into an aged care facility. These are all irrelevant for the purposes of the downsizer eligibility. The criteria only relies on the disposal of an eligible property and has nothing to do with their living situation after that. In uh, our second question, in the event of death, can a client who inherits a property use the deceased's ownership period to meet the 10-year ownership duration? To answer to this one is that it depends on who the deceased was with respect to the surviving beneficiary client. If they were spouses, then yes, it is possible as you can include the ownership interest of the former spouse as well as where their ownership interest passes on to a trustee of the former spouse's deceased estate when assessing the continuous 10-year period. However, if the client inherited the property of someone who was not their former spouse, for example, they inherited a property from their parent, you cannot include the deceased's ownership period here. The 10 years when assessed for the client beneficiary will restart upon them inheriting from the death of the original owner. The third question is, could a client use the downsizer contribution if they only disposed of part of their ownership interest in their property? For example, they disposed of a 50% tenants in common share and will retain the remaining portion. For this question, the answer is yes, they can. And we'll see this communicated as well in the ATO's general information about downsizer contributions with words to the effect of being able to contribute proceeds of the sale or part sale of your home. Additionally, within the legislation, the requirement is to dispose of an ownership interest, which is defined as having a legal or equitable, equitable interest in it or a right to occupy it. If a dwelling was acquired under a contract, it goes on to specify that it is when legal ownership is obtained. Legal ownership can include parts of the whole and is not limited to a disposal of all the client's legal ownership. While this is possible, a practical implication is that because a portion of the ownership interest is disposed of, the amount that can be contributed is going to be limited by the smaller amount that they receive as capital proceeds compared to a full disposal. But if this was disposed of for at least $300,000 for the individual, the full contribution can still be made. For example, if a 50% tenants in common share of a property was disposed of for only $200,000, the contribution here will be limited to $200,000 only. If a 50% tenants in common share was disposed of for $400,000, you could still make up to $300,000 as a downsizer contribution. Secondly, if the client in this instance where they're disposed of, say, their half share of a property for only $200,000, if that client were to later dispose of the remaining 50% tenants in common share, they will not 
be able to apply the downsizer provision to this future sale, even if they had not fully used up the 300,000 for the first disposal, because you can only apply the downsizer measure to a single disposal. The fourth question is if the client uh, gives their ownership interest, for example, to an adult child and use their other savings to make a downsizer contribution, is this possible? To answer th to this question is no. While at inception in 1 July 2018, the legislation did not strictly prohibit the application of a capital gains tax concept, the market value substitution rule, when assessing the capital proceeds. Uh, during this time, the ATO did issue a law companion ruling 2018-9, where they did state that the, that the policy intent here was not to allow for the application of the market value substitution rule where non-arm's length arrangements are entered into and the amount is limited by the actual proceeds from the sale. In June 2020, Parliament actually amended the legislation and inserted a provision which prevented the use of the market value substitution rule for disposals after the amendment received royal assent and that date was the 22nd of June 2020. What this all means is in this example, because no physical capital proceeds are received by gifting the ownership interest, the downsizer amount is limited to the figure of nil for this disposal. Because the person who's gifting the interest is receiving no physical capital proceeds, they cannot make any amount of a downsizer contribution as a result. Similarly, if an ownership interest is disposed of by an amount below arm's length, for example, the interest is actually worth $500,000 um, from an arm's length perspective or from a market value perspective, but it is sold only for $200,000. The downsizer amount is limited to the $200,000 capital proceeds received. And again, the market value substitution rule cannot be applied for, the, for this purpose. Next question is where only one spouse out of a couple owns the property, does the other spouse who does not have an ownership interest need to have lived in the dwelling. For example, if a couple has recently formed a de facto relationship, spouse A has owned a home that spouse A has lived in and owned for more than 10 years. Upon entering a relationship with spouse B, both spouses will move into, into and live in a separate property that they will purchase together. Spouse B has never lived in the house or home owned by spouse A. If spouse A disposes of their former home, Will spouse B be eligible to make a downsizer contribution? Unfortunately, in this scenario, only spouse A would be eligible to make the downsizer contribution. This is because although both spouses do not need to have an ownership interest in the property, for the spouse who does not have this interest, spouse B in our example here, the rules ask the question if hypothetically, if spouse B had in fact held an ownership interest, whether or not they would have also been able to apply the full or part main residence capital gains tax exemption. Because spouse B never lived in the property as their principal home, this would not have been available to them and is why they are not able to use the downsizer contribution in this instance. However, it is possible for spouse B, say at a later stage, to use the downsizer measure if in future they dispose of the joint home that they own with spouse A if they own it for more than 10 years. The last question is, if a company or family trust owns the dwelling a client resides in and has owned it for more than 10 years, can the client make a downsizer contribution 
if the entity disposes of this property. Somewhat linked to the previous answer, this one is also no. In the previous question, spouse B was not eligible because they were not able to apply the main residence capital gains tax exemption. Similarly, a company or family trust is not eligible to apply the main residence exemption as this is only available to individuals or natural persons. There is a small exception to this rule being trustees of a special disability trust. However, this is not applicable here in this example. It means here in this example, a client cannot access the downsizer contribution where a company or trust owns the property that they reside in. They may have structured this in this way for asset protection or estate planning reasons. However, as a result of it, they cannot apply the main residence CGT exemption on its disposal and are also unable to make a downsizer contribution from the sale proceeds. However, if they were eligible, they may instead be able to, to make use of just the normal non-concessional contribution rules in order to contribute funds into their superannuation savings. Issues such as this are what our team loves to discuss, not only in our fortnightly BTE Academy webinar series, but also when we speak to advisors around strategy and legislation support when formulating advice for clients. Our next webinar will be BT Academy episode 83, SMSF Residency Rules, with Tim Howard taking place on Wednesday the 30th of August at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. All SMSFs must meet certain residency rules in order to benefit from concessional tax treatment for superannuation, including to be an Australian superannuation fund at all times. In this session, Tim will work through the residency tests and solutions for clients who may be spending time both in Australia and overseas. To register, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to BT Academy webinar series. Like all our webinars, the session will be available on demand if you can't join us live and all sessions are accredited for CPD purposes. In the meantime, if you have any technical questions, you can contact the BT Technical Services team on 1-800-655-901 or by email to technical at btfinancialgroup.com. Thanks for joining me and until next time, bye for now. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory, and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations, or needs.